0: Jesus, our Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Come, let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray you would draw near to us that we may draw near to you, for we cannot come before you except through Christ, who has come to us first. And we pray that you would let your word abide with us until it has worked in us your holy will, quicken, refresh our hearts, renew and increase our strength so that we may grow into your likeness, and by our worship be enabled better to serve you in our daily life. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Our first hymn is number 115, All Creatures of Our God begin can. You who do truly and earnestly repent of your sins are and are in love and charity with your neighbors and intend to lead a new life, following the commandment of God, of course, all this by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and walking from now on in his holy ways, draw near with faith and make your humble confession to Almighty God, using the prayer br- <coughs> excuse me the prayer printed in the bulletin, O Lord God, eternal and Almighty Father. We confess and acknowledge before your holy majesty that we poor sinners were conceived and born in iniquity and corruption, prone to do evil, and that in our depravity we have transgressed your holy commandments over and over again. Nevertheless, <clears throat> sorry that we have offended you, and we deplore our sins with true repentance, asking for your grace to relieve our distress. Have mercy on us, our Father, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you blot out our sins, strengthen and increase in us day by day the grace of your Holy Spirit, that as we acknowledge our unrighteousness, we may be moved by that sorrow which brings forth true repentance in us, putting to death all our sins, and producing in us the fruits of righteousness and innocence, which are pleasing to you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ as a minister of his gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We respond together saying, praise be to God. Christian people, the apostolic exhortation to the church is abstain from sexual immorality and homosexuality is counted in the Bible as sexual immorality. We must be compassionate to those who are caught up in non-heterosexual relationships. Everyone's sexuality has been corrupted by sin, and therefore we must all exercise self-control and cultivate sexual behavior according to God's moral order for us. We must also pray for courage in our society today so that we can bear witness to right sexual morality. Now, often Christians claim that our moral convictions arise from faith decisions that we have made, and we leave it at that. This sounds like it is merely a matter of personal belief, and so we can have other people who are not Christians say, well, that's fine, you believe that, I believe something else. But it's not, just simply, it's not really coming down to a faith decision. Christian ethics are not simply commands to be obeyed, They also line up with how God has created us and his world. We abstain from celebrating homosexual behavior because the Christian tradition holds sexual morality in high regard. Whether someone is a Christian or not, the sexual act is moral in nature and it has moral consequences that extend beyond the two persons engaged in intercourse. Male and female bodies bear witness to a design that determines the body's proper use. Furthermore, it is only heterosexual unions that pass on to society children and allow it to flourish. Let us bear witness to God's good moral order, not just our decision to follow the Christian faith. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 594, Hope of the World. say together to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for your gifts to us this week, the kind words from strangers and friends, the food and cheer that refreshes our bodies and souls. We thank you for our Savior, most of all, whose pardon we have received and who endured the attacks of others and the hardness of man's heart and the little faith of his disciples. We bless you that he did not give up on us or abandon his journey to the cross, but remembered our captivity and sin and went on to set us free. We follow him now as he frequently bowed his head and prayed to you for his mission and for the needs of others. So now we bow our heads with him and pray for the needs of those in this world. O oh Lord, as you created this world and have not given up on it, but in fact, you redeemed it in Jesus Christ Christ. Preserve your moral order of right and wrong, including the order of humanity that is male and female, and grant us just government with policies not based in ideologies, but in the reality of your creation. We pray for the reclamation of moral order in this world as Christ is proclaimed. We pray for the turbulence of the nations of this world to be calmed by your power so that peace may be known in Ukraine and Afghanistan and North Korea, China, Philadelphia, and other cities in our own nation. We pray for the reclamation of marriage from deviant pleasure, so that husbands love their wives and wives honor their husbands for the good of the family and society. And we pray for the respect of unborn infants, immigrants, Asians, Jews, African Americans, and the elderly as sacred human lives. For these and other concerns in this world, hear our prayers. For Joe Biden, our president, for Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, our senators, Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, that we, may, we pray for them that we may be led with humility and justice and honesty. We pray for morally good decisions To be made by our Congress and our Supreme Court, and we pray that the poor would be truly helped hear our prayers for our government. Our Father, lead and keep the Church of Jesus Christ in this world. May she grow and bear good influence wherever she is gathered. Let the word of Christ be proclaimed by the church's preaching and the celebration of the Lord's Supper, baptism, and in our deeds, Christian deeds. And may this world turn to you in faith and repentance. We pray for our missionaries in Uganda, for Charles Jackson and James Fulkert, Christo- Christopher Verdict, Mark Essendelf, Leah Hop, Tina DeYoung, Angela Vascual, that they would be safe and able to move about freely to teach Jesus Christ. We also pray for Steve Igo, Jerry Newmeyer, and Mick Kinnearum at Cedar OPC in Jenison and the church there. Hear our prayers, gracious Lord. We are frail and we falter as we follow Christ. Our needs are many. We pray for your merciful care. Heal those who are sick frail in body, troubled in soul, or relocating. We pray for Barbara Hanum, for Terry, Eduardo, Jeff, Fawn, and our friends, Scott and Becky, Karen, Bill, Tom, Phil, Chris Barker, Kathy, Mrs. Mesner, and others we name to you one by one. Strengthen us all in body and soul to be faithful followers of Christ. We pray you would hold on to us through Christ, for we have no grip on you. Help us, O blessed Lord. We entrust ourselves to you, and we make our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done
1: dedicate your offering with me with the prayer printed in the Lord. Lord Lord our God, giver of all good, good. we entreat
2: you to behold in these our gifts, the pledge of our consecration to your service, and grant that now and at all times our gratitude to you may be as great as our need and your mercy, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: come now to the point in our worship where we prepare to hear God's word read and preached. And so we pray for the aid of the Holy Spirit that we might hear and respond in faith. Let us pray. Father, you have said... For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In recognition of this, Father, we ask for wisdom to follow Christ, to follow his way in the world with hearts made new by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is in Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of... My people shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Our psalter response is in the bulletin. <clears throat> praise the Lord.
3: Sing the Lord a new
1: song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King.
3: Let them praise his name with dancing,
1: making melody to him with tambourine and lyre.
3: For the Lord takes pleasure in his people.
1: He adorns the humble with salvation. Let Let them sing for joy on their beds. And two-edged swords in their hands.
3: To execute vengeance on the nations.
1: And punishments on the peoples.
3: To bind their kings with chains.
1: And their nobles with fetters of iron.
3: To execute on them the judgment of religion.
1: This is honor for all his holy ones. Praise, Praise the Lord. We read next from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, first eight verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And our gospel reading from the Gospel of John, 2nd chapter
0: Soon we'll, we will resume hearing the Word of God from the Gospel of Mark. I was preaching on that before we came to uh, Palm Sunday and, and the big events of Christ's life after that. So, next week we'll start hearing, coming back to the Gospel of Mark. But before we can come back to Mark, I wish to preach a pastoral sermon. There are different kinds of sermons. There are sermons that explain a text line by line, there are doctrinal sermons that set out a doctrine using Scripture. There are sermons that focus on a topic like marriage or a Christian topic like marriage or forgiveness or the church. And another kind of sermon is what I call a pastoral sermon. The pastoral sermon is preached because a congregation is wrestling with something or something significant has happened and the congregation is stirred up about it. And so this is the case for this sermon to preach towards that concern or that that question that comes up. It's to address the questions and desires that you have for newness in our world and in your own person. Now, to put it another way, there's the subtitle of a book that I read some time ago, Things Are Not the Way They're Supposed to Be. Things Are Not Supposed to Be This Way. And we maybe don't put it like that, but we think about it with all the different crises and conflicts that happen in the world, and not just in the world, but also in ourselves. The Christian faith teaches us that things will not always be like they are, but what will be different. Now, the sermons I have preached on the new heavens and the new earth usually focus on the continuity between the original creation and the new creation. As the opening of Genesis says in the first pages of the Bible, first page of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's the first creation. But there's also the second creation, as the Apostle Paul calls it in his letter to the Corinthian church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In my preaching, I've usually focused on the continuity between the original creation and the new creation, especially when it comes to our bodies. We need to hear this today because our culture does not consider our bodies essential to who we are. We believe the true person is the one on the inside who can reason, make choices, uh, live the authentic kind of life. It's that interior self that's considered the true person. The body is more like an instrument that we control and use in whatever way we want. The common belief is that we can change our bodies according to what we want. And so because the bodies are viewed, our bodies are viewed in such an expendable way, detached from our true selves, we need to hear about the continuity between the first creation and the second creation. And it's not only our bodies, but the whole material world is something that can be, in in the mind of our culture, can be used, uh, either be used up or replaced. So given our culture today, it's important to hear the continuity between God's original creation and his new creation in Christ. The scripture lesson from the Revelation to John, our, our epistle reading this morning, says God's redemption extends to heaven and earth. In verse 5, the divine voice says, Behold, I make all things new. What are those things? Well, the things of the first creation. That is, our person, the material world, human society, our very existence. This continuity is revealed in Jesus Christ who joined himself to the old humanity to our life and our flesh in, this old, in the old creation. He died with it, and he raised it up into the new life of God. The simple way we confess this is that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, and with that same flesh, remember, Thomas did not believe, Jesus shows him the nails in his hands, and it was the hands with which he, and body with which he was crucified so we confess that he was put to death in the flesh, and with the same flesh was raised up from the dead and ascended into heaven. But Scripture does keep a tension between the old and the new. There's a continuity between the old and the new, and there's also discontinuity. In a word, there is the new. Sometimes when one side of the tension is emphasized, the other side is neglected. And the other side of the tension between the old is the new. And our lesson from Revelation certainly speaks to it, right? It might be good for you to go back and count how many times the word new shows up there. Therefore, it's appropriate to to ask, what is new about the new creation? Well, Revelation 21 begins with the new city. Verse 2 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now you remember, Revelation is using a certain kind of writing, a writing style that was common in the first century, common among the Jews, called apocalyptic style. It's not the only writing that you, does that, and it uses word pictures and lots of symbols to express things. It's a different kind of writing than perhaps we're used to, but that's what it does. And so here, the word picture for the new city is a bride adorned for her husband. Now, it's good to pay attention to this because we usually start with the individual, don't we? We begin with our own conversion and other individuals who must be converted in order to dwell with God. But our text shows it's the other way around, at least for this new city. In the new heavens and the new earth, God comes to dwell with us. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven with God dwelling within it. And in the picture that Revelation gives us, The voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. Verse 3. So our lesson begins with the new city where God dwells with his people. I read a book this last week that described Tel Aviv in Israel. The author uses picturesque language. At night, looking north along the coast from Jaffa, the Tel Aviv skyline arises out of the sea like a circus of light against a black sky. The New York Times called it the Mediterranean capital of cool. That's kind of fun. Tel Aviv, Yafo, that's really the city's name. It's, it's near Yaffa. We say Yaffa, it's Yafo. So Tel Aviv, Yafo is the city's full name, and it began as an empty sand dune and 60 Jewish families, and that was in the year 1909. Tired of the crowding in nearby Yaffa, The families moved outside the ancient town, and they set about creating from nothing a modern, self-run Jewish community. It was the seed, intended to be the seed of a new Israel. They designed it on a modern, urban scale. It had proper streets, sanitation, construction, and their labors took root. Inspired in part by the dream of a revived Jewish nation in the historic Jewish homeland, they committed themselves to building a source of hope for Jews everywhere. Well, in many ways, it is the, it's, it's the ideal kind of city that many people want today. Wouldn't we like to start over with that kind of city? With so many of our cities that have infrastructure problems and all these things. And yet, as modern and well-designed as it is, there's still weeping, pain, and death there. Many of the Palestinians resent the Jews who live there. The crime rate is low compared to other cities, but it still has crime. In 2021, the crime rate was at 23%. The biggest crimes are bribery, corruption, pickpockets, and car theft. But every so often, every once in a while, there's a knife attack on the buses and people are killed or rockets are fired into the city. All the cities of this world, even the great ones, show the deformities of sin. In our own country, the media is full of stories of violence in the cities, brazen attacks on people, drug abuse, people camped out in streets along the roads. The cities we have built are the cities of sinful men. In our cities, we are isolated from one another. We prefer to stay in our homes rather than gather in the common commons of our neighborhoods. Our cities are places where people are dehumanized, where the meaning of life is to make money and pursue your own interests. In our cities, we leave the care for our neighbors up to the processes of government bureaucracy. And we look away when we see evil and wrong, like the people on the subway in New York who ignored a woman who was being assaulted by a man while she begged for help. In our scripture lesson today, John does not see a city like these. The word of God shows us a different city, a new city. What we see, first of all, is this holy city coming out of heaven. Again, that's that, that apocalyptic kind of language, that word picture. And it's not, the scripture, when it says coming down out of heaven, it's not trying to make us think of an alien city suspended in the sky like the flying island of Laputa in Gulliver's Travels or Cloud City in Star Wars or some city like that. Scripture shows us with this word picture that it's from God. This is the meaning of heavenly. It's not something that originates with man. It's not something that springs up from us. It's not from us. The holy city is created by God. The city coming down from God is not one of the cities of this world like Rome or Babylon or Tel Aviv, Jaffa. This means it doesn't arise from human power and brilliance. Some cities in this world have been carefully planned and I've seen some brilliantly designed future cities and ecologically friendly sewers, rail lines to make people move around, energy efficient homes and businesses. Instead of separated housing divisions, people live close to the marketplaces. Planners have some smart ideas about how to remake urban living. But no matter how efficient and community centered these cities are, they will not be the holy city because that one can only come from God. As the letter to the Hebrews says, the holy city is the city whose designer and builder is God. And it's new. It's a new society where there is no murder. There are no bombings, school shootings, theft, bribery, corruption, bad policies that cause people hardship, assault on the vulnerable, or any threat. The new Jerusalem that comes from God is new because, as the scripture says, God himself is with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that have passed away. Verse 4 in our lesson. This is a society where children are wanted and cared for, where people can gather without fear, where no one carries a gun. Where people take care of each other, the doors are wide open, and it's filled with laughter, joy, beauty, and goodness. And all of this is because the people who live there have been reconciled to God, and he, who is the source of goodness, beauty, and truth, dwells with them in the city. By God's redemption in Jesus Christ, he renews human society so that we love one another and we seek the good of all, not just ourselves. Now, humankind strives for a city like this, and we always come up short. God builds the city for us through Jesus Christ, and he will unveil it one day when Christ returns. Now, what else is new? There's a new city, but what else is new? Well, there will be no more guilt. I was talking to a colleague who was surprised to hear a story about a Roman Catholic Christian who practices self-flagellation. This was a common medieval method of dealing with temptation and sin by whipping one's back with a short little whip like this. Later I thought to myself that we Protestants do this too. It's just that we flagellate ourselves psychologically. We whip ourselves with guilt, with our guilt. Guilt is an insufferable problem in our whole society, and there are different kinds of guilt, there's a the guilt that comes from other people manipulating us, blaming us for something. Another kind of guilt comes from not meeting the expectations in our society, such as how we should look, holding to what is politically correct, not believing what is accepted as socially right, belonging to a certain race, not keeping up with technology, and on it goes. I've heard it said that I should feel guilty because I am lumped into the Anglo-Saxon dominant class in this country and have supposedly benefited from this. The guilt that comes from from manipulation or failing to match up to society are often false kinds of guilt, especially if society's expectations are detached from what is good and true. And then there's the guilt that comes from disobeying God's law or his moral order. It's guilt that comes from gratuitous sex and using people for our own pleasure. It's the guilt that comes from looking the other way when someone needs help. It's the guilt that comes from loving the things of this world more than God. And we've become very accomplished at covering up this guilt, or at least trying to. It's there, but we go to therapists who help us rationalize it or justify it. We try to make it inconsequential. We say, well, what if I did do that? It didn't hurt anybody. Yet no matter what we do to cancel it, the goodness and rightness of God pushes down on us. God is always there. He created us, he's present, and his goodness and rightness always push down on us, and the guilt of our sin against God remains. When the new heavens and the new earth, there is no guilt, there is no shame. Our text does not specifically mention guilt, but it does say sin will be removed, and true guilt goes hand in hand with sin. Verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those who commit sin will not exist in God's new society. Now, this can happen in two ways. One is through conversion, turning people, people turning to Christ in faith and their sin being forgiven. The other way is simply casting the sinner out of God's new creation. Either way, there will be no more sin, and thus there will be no more guilt. This newness of Christ's redemption has already begun for us. That's one, another one of those tensions in the Bible, that there isn't already. It's not just all off in the future. The newness of Christ's redemption has already begun for us who have faith in Jesus Christ. There is a way to deal with our guilt today. When we do something wrong that goes against God's moral order and his commandments, we can confess it to God and ask for forgiveness. God's word promises in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in this way, our guilt is removed. This frees us from the manipulations of society. We can begin to discern between what is good and true and what is someone trying to control us. When someone tries to put something on you, it's good to ask, is it according to God's moral order? And if it's not, then don't do it. In addition, Christ teaches us to embrace God's moral order for us. For example, God has created human life as sacred in this world. Human beings stand apart from every other animal in creation. Human DNA is not the same as a cow or a fish. Each human being, as a human being, has meaning because he or she is part of the human race, because he or she is created as that sacred being that we are as, as humans. We're to hold human life as sacred from its beginning to its end. Through Christ, we can respect all human beings, and there is no guilt in that. So, in the heavens and the, and the earth, made new by Christ, there is no sin and guilt. What else is new? Well, there will be no corruption, namely the corruption of our person. It goes by other names today. We don't usually walk around and go, you know, I'm I'm corrupted. I mean, maybe in the church we confess that, but normally people don't talk that way. We use words like infirmity, old age, sickness, decay, the breakdown of our bodies and our souls and our minds. And Living in a creation that has been affected by sin, we unravel about five years ago, I was talking to a man who asked me how old I was. I told him, and then he told me that starting around 60, which I just turned 60 this last year, he noticed his joints began to come apart. I was sort of a little, <laughs> a little worried about that. I was 55 at the time. But that's the corruption of our bodies. And obviously, we don't all, it doesn't all happen right at the same time for each one of us. But we do notice our joints begin to come apart. Our minds begin to get holes in them. Our health breaks down. Our lives decline. And you've experienced this just like I have. So much pain and sadness comes from it. A friend of mine in seminary named Duncan Borland was a tall, athletic, bright young man when he went off to school at MIT. In his first year, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And by the time I met him, three years later, he was able to complete his his, uh, schooling at MIT. But three years later, he came to the seminary to, uh, to join us, and he was in a motorized wheelchair in just three years and had severe muscle weakness. He couldn't stand up anymore. We unravel in this, in this old creation. When Christ makes all things new, there will be no more corruption of our person. And here too our lesson from Revelation does not specifically mention corruption. However, it does say that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. Now, we don't know much about what our bodies and minds will be like in the new heaven and the new earth. We need to be careful about running past the scripture and being speculating. But from Jesus' resurrection, we may deduce that our new bodies will be these bodies made new. How will they be made new? Well, I'd like to think that I will have a youthful body like when I was 18. For many years I was stuck on the age 18. I just felt like I was 18. I had all this vigor and strength and and you know, this excitement about life. But to want to be 18 or whatever your magic number is is falling back into the expectations of our society that idolizes youthfulness. I'd like to believe that I will be muscular and able to maintain a 30-mile-an-hour pace when I cycle on my bicycle. But once again, that reflects more of our culture than God's revelation in Christ. There's much that we do not know. What Christ reveals with his resurrection is that our bodies will participate in the fullness of his new life, of the new life that he gives. We will recognize each other as we do now. Did not the disciples recognize the risen Jesus when he came to them in the upper room? Yes. Sickness and the breakdown of our bodies and minds will be no more. We will be healthy. And finally, what will be new is that there will be no more death. And our text actually says that, specifically says that death shall be no more, verse 4. Now, we all face death now. And I mean right now. You face it. It's been observed that among all beings, man or human beings are the only ones who know that they must die. Do you see other animals building graves or writing obituaries before the person dies? You know the New York Times does that for famous people. They have obituaries already written before the person dies so that when the person dies, they can just pop it out and stick it, maybe update it a little bit and put it in the paper or on, online. Cows and cats may fear danger, but they don't know that they'll die. We know we will die, but we don't like it, and we try to defy death. And our society offers many ways to try to remain youthful, from skin treatments to enhancements. But most of the time, we avoid dwelling on death or the afterlife or the dead themselves. We prefer to ignore all these things. Well, life today, life in this old creation, carries death within it. It's a constant reality, even if we do not want to think about it. At any moment, something may happen that takes your life. Do you think the people... Do you think the people who who went to the grocery store in Buffalo, New York on May 14th at 2.30 p.m. thought that they would die? Or the man eating at a diner and choked to death on a piece of food, do you think he expected his death? Or Jim Fix, if you were old enough, you remember Jim Fix from the 1970s and early 80s. He was a long-distance runner. He was the author of a book titled The Complete Book of Running. He's kind of credited with starting the whole running um, uh, enthusiasm that, that hit our country. He was in great shape, but he had a massive heart attack at the age of 52 while running. There are good reasons to fear death. There is the pain of possible suffering. There's the loss of loves and friendships, the finality of our own insignificance. Death seems to undermine any meaning of life. Isn't that what people say when someone dies, especially someone who's younger, or some tragedy happens? They just they just don't know how to make sense of it. Death, however, has been vanquished by Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Jesus' death and resurrection are the benchmarks of the New Testament, and that includes our lesson in Revelation. It's because of Jesus' death and resurrection that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The book of Revelation actually starts with the resurrected Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead, it says in chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus' resurrection was about breaking out into a new form of life, a life with God that is no longer subject to the law of dying and sin and corruption and all these other things. It's a life that opens up a new dimension of human existence for those who have faith in him. For those who believe, Jesus Christ has made death into the gateway of eternal life with God. Scripture tells us that even now the resurrection of Jesus has bearing on us as Christians. You have been raised with Christ, Paul says in Colossians. The resurrection of Jesus Christ clarifies the meaning of death for us. We can now look at death and have an understanding of it now that's, that's made new because of Christ's resurrection. It gives us true hope and purpose that's worth dying for in this life. There are things worth dying for in this life. And Jesus' resurrection and the new life he gives makes that uh, clear to us. Jesus has turned death into the gateway into the new Jerusalem. The resurrected Jesus makes all things new. And there is continuity between the old creation and the new, between who we are now and who we shall be in the city of God. But there's also the new. Many questions remain for us. I'm not attempting to try to answer all your questions. I can't do that. Scripture doesn't do that with your questions. And we must be satisfied with what the word of God reveals to us. Even so, enough has been revealed to you to live a life in this world of trust and abandonment to what God has for us in Christ, for us who love him. Let us pray. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed printed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father for all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 529, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. For your souls, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. As they were eating at that last meal before his death, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God.
1: This is a covenant meal.
0: It means there's a bond here that's created uh, between with us and God by Christ Jesus and His Holy Spirit. The, whole, the Holy Spirit created a bond for us, and it makes it a covenant meal, a meal that's set apart from all other meals that we would ever um, eat in this world. And so we come to this meal on our part, surrendering, surrendering our wills and being responsible to God alone, knowing that He is our God, and we... to submit to Him and seek after Him. It's not our task anymore to try to adjust to our world or to our society. There are good things in our world society. Sometimes there's wisdom there, but that's not our mission. Our mission is not to adjust everything about our lives and the church to society. In fact, many times we'll find ourselves at at odds with the society. We're to be obedient to God's will which transcends any other will. And our pledge as we come to this table is to live as faithful members of God's community of grace and peace, which is the church. We join hands with our fellow Christians in a common loyalty to God, and all of this is laid upon us if we partake of the Lord's Supper. So here in this covenant meal, it is made clear that we belong to Christ. And none of this from our side can be done without His Spirit who's at work within us and he keeps us united with Jesus Christ. It's my privilege as Christ minister to invite all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ and belong to a Christian church, who are welcome to come to this table. <clears throat> the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. And lift up your heart to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. To this right Christ gives him thanks and praise. Almighty God, good Father to us all, your face is turned towards your world, and in love you gave us Jesus Christ, your Son, to rescue us from sin and death. And so now your word goes out to call us home to the city where the angels sing your praise, that great city that is is already set out in heaven and is coming to be uh, made completely revealed on this earth. And so even now, we join with the host in heaven and their song, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven. To the darkness, Jesus came as your light. With the grace of your salvation and the gospel word, He touched sinners with love and washed the guilty clean. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son, and yet in the end they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his friends to celebrate the freedom of your people, the freedom and liberty that he would accomplish for them. Jesus blessed you, Father, for the food. He took the bread and gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples, and also the cup he gave to his disciples and said, Do this in remembrance of me. And therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate the cross in which he died to set us free from sin. Defying death, he rose again and is alive with you to plead for us and your whole church and to make a way for us to live with you forever. By your spirit uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we, all who share this food, offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all of creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. With one voice, we offer our thanksgiving, and together we say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Holy Father... You did gather us around the table of your sons, so that we, with all your household, might partake of this holy food. In your kingdom, wherein the fullness of your peace is revealed, gather people of every nation and tongue to share in the eternal banquet of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 347, The Church's One Foundation.
1: be seated. I will turn your attention to the calendar and the bulletin and begin with the uh, Christian education class, which today starts its summer um, curriculum. We are taking up this little book um, by John Leith, which features um Excerpts from Calvin's Institutes focusing on the Christian life, um, kind of fitting with some of the things Pastor's been talking about in terms of this way and this order that's been handed down to us and uh, that is to guide us in our lives. So uh, we take that up today. Next potluck meals July third. Thursday fellowship or excuse well, me, Thursday Bible study?
0: Yeah, we uh, that's on hold. We had the last class last week. So, okay. so I, I didn't change that. But anyway, okay. we'll resume in September. Okay. The Thursday night study.
1: Friday evening prayer. This next, this Looks like it's coming Sunday. up yeah. this next Friday. Is there a location for that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It'll be here. here. Okay, at the
0: church. Yeah. And we'll have something to eat.
1: There'll be something to eat that evening uh, with the prayer meeting. That is all I have. Um, Are there any other items? Mark? Um,
3: I'd like to ask for a prayer for my mom Um, Tomorrow. tomorrow, Living where she's at, and um, they want to move her into memory care. Sorry, I feel a little... yeah, um, it's kind of in line with what the pastor was preaching about aging, and it's a difficult decision. But the other dynamic is I have two sisters, and they're totally opposed to what should happen with her. So, mm-hmm. Just... Mm-hmm.
1: Where is she, Mark? Toledo. Toledo, okay, all right. So be praying for Mark and his sisters as they make a decision about his mother's care going forward. All right, we'll take a, a brief uh, break for refreshments and fellowship, and then uh, our class will begin at a quarter of. Thank you.